With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode one of whatever this is. At the moment, we're not entirely sure of what the name might be, but there's a working title, LOV Rewind, Trotter's Throwback, any number of things. Basically, this is a podcast for the oldies. Given the absolute thriving in nostalgia at the moment of the Under the Kosh podcast of quickly Kevin Willie's score, we obviously thought, why not take advantage and just look back at happier times when football existed, when everyone had hair and we knew exactly where we stood as Bolton Wanderers fans. I'm Chris and I'm joined tonight by my good pal Lee. Lee, good evening. Good evening, Christopher. How are you doing? Very, very well. Thank you, mate. Can I take you back on a journey to April 1997? I'd love you to. Wonderful. So the basic premise of this podcast is a, is a pilot to see how things work with looking back at classic moments, uh, Bolton Wanderers fandom in our lifetime looking predominantly at the, the 90s and the 2000s. So being of a certain vintage, both Lee and I um, began our wondrous supporting careers, so to speak, around this sort of time. Um, for myself, this was the first actual season I had my season ticket the last year at Burnham Park. I remember getting it off my mum and dad just before the season began. Absolutely delighted. And it, it took us on an absolute whirlwind adventure that has still not ended to this day, however many years later. Um, Lee, when did you start going to the game? Uh, ditto. Uh, that, <clears throat> that was my first season. I uh, wrote, uh, wrote an article about it on the, uh, the Line of Vienna suite, actually. I think it's Smell of Success, where I mainly talked about farts and pies at the start, but it did, the, the article did this <laughs> sort of coherence. But yeah, that was my first season. Um, and my first ever live game as well was the, the, first, the first home game against, uh, against City. Excellent um, choice. Uh, Franson's, uh, Franson's goal secured us a victory that night. Yeah, I remember it very, very clearly. I, I mean, for myself, I know I said the, the first sort of year of the season ticket, I was probably starting to go sort of four or five years earlier than that. I do seem to recall my, my first game being an FA Cup game against Brighton when I was sat in the leave room with my dad. Dave Felgate saved the penalty and tickets came courtesy. My uncle, who was mates with Felgate, so I remember going to his house afterwards and playing Counter-Strike with his son on the, on the, on the PC. Those were the days. Walking home from Felgate's house with a pair of goalkeeper gloves and a and a crappy Sandico uh, goalkeeper uh, glove bag. Absolutely outrageous. And those are the days, only. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If anything's going to get you into football, a uh, crappy Sandico goalkeeper gloves are going to do the trick, aren't they? <laughs> For definite. I remember them wearing a very, very fetching pink outfit to the, the Brighton guys back in the day. So what we're thinking of doing on this podcast is, like I said at the start, just taking a look back at certain elements of our uh, early years in supporting Wanderers. Granted, for those listening, it may be later on in the process. But hey, we're in charge of it, you're not. So, like we said at the start, April 25th, 1997, 
saw the final game at Burnham Park before Wanderers moved to the Reebok Stadium, where we remain to this very day. Almost 25 years ago, if you can believe. Um, the season was a, a, an unbelievable success for Wanderers under Colin Todd's leadership. We had a cracking team. Uh, into more detail, we'll go into shortly. And Wanderers arrived at this final game already being crowned champions, having already uh, beaten Manchester City previously to be mathematical champions. But obviously, we weren't getting the trophy until that very final game. Um, Lee, obviously, were you saying this is your first year going watching? Did you happen to go to any particularly notable games that season, home or away? Um, I, th- I only went to the home games actually. Um, I don't. Even, I don't think I went to any away games. I was, I was, what was I? Four. Oh, what was I? Fourteen. Yeah, thirteen, fourteen. So probably a bit young to be going on the jolly, jolly boys out in away from home. But um, yeah, I went to every home game with uh, my mate Sam and his dad. And um, yeah, didn't miss. Don't think I missed a home game. Um, so notable games that season. There's probably too many to mention. You could, you could literally. Mm. I don't think we lost at home more than I can remember a couple of times. Kevin Davies hat trick in the cup, in the FA Cup it was one we lost but for Chesterfield, the two three two defeat. Um, I th- anyway, I think we only lost one league game at home all season, mate. We lost two one against Ipswich, I seem to recall around Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But uh, yeah, anyway, I started talking about defeats and when we probably won nearly every game of the season. That's so, habit. Yeah. That that's habit. I know it's the pessimism that we just garnered over the years, isn't it? So. Yeah, I mean, the cup games, again, I think we were chatting before, actually, about Spurs and Chelsea in the cup, which were notable scalps carrying on in the, the grand old tradition of Wanderers over the past few seasons before I started watching us, where the, the 6-1 against Spurs was barely believable because Spurs were, while they weren't the sort of Champions League qualifying team that they are now, they were still a, still a big deal. And for, mm. for, for us to beat them 7-1, I always say, because Scott Taylor's goal... In a, he definitely night, crossed the line, crossed I completely the line. agree. And how you how you sort of begrudge that when you've won six one and it should have been seven? You still remember <laughs> twenty five years later. It says everything about me. I think in the pedant that I am, but um, yeah, just just I mean, they're the cup games and we cancelled in the league. Six um, one against Grimsby. I remember your Hanson bagging a brace and um, just just from the from the get go, really, it was just a good vibe around the club. And I think I referred to that in my yeah, article. Absolutely, it was just a just a great place to go and go and watch football and. So the first live football I'd ever seen, well, I, I tell a lie, I did used to go and watch Manchester United because my dad supported him. He took me to a few games, but I never really took to it. Bit of a lie, but there we go. Yeah, it was that just disclaimer. A, yeah. The disclaimer yeah. is what matters there, pal. The disclaimer exactly. is what matters. I mean, we only lost four games all season then. I mean, looking back, it's phenomenal. And a 46-game season as well. Um, starting off with, with, with the draw away at Port Vale, which I remember very fondly, an absolutely roasting that day. Down there, and then, like you said, the first home game with uh, with France and scoring just after half time, fantastic. A crowd of nearly 80, 18 and a half on uh, that Grimsby six one. I'd completely forgotten about until I was doing a bit of research earlier on, and uh, it, it's just fantastic. And it looking back at these, uh, looking back at the results, there's so many sort of three ones, two ones, seven nils. You know what I mean? It's it, it almost seems completely alien to to what we know about these days. And I don't want to dwell too much on the present. This isn't really the the purpose of the podcast, but it, it made me laugh that, that the, the nil-nils that maybe we've seen so much of these days, we only saw two, and that was yeah. that was towards the start of the season. Then the day after my 14th birthday, I went to Oldham away on the coach with my mum with my little flag that I bought with my birthday money, and then the, the, the steward made me take the stick out, said it was a, it was a weapon. Absolutely <laughs> dev- devastated. I think he he was the only weapon there, wasn't he? I think you're very much right as well. That was just a, just a, a, a ten days after we beat City to to claim the, the top spot. 
it was Dave uh, Dave Higson came on the bus and saw my little 14-year-old crestfallen face and tried to reassure me and, and snuck the stick into Boundary Park with me so I couldn't be reunited with it further down the line. What a, what a gentleman. What a story. What a story. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, I, I found it interesting whilst I was doing a bit of research and looking at the attendances that season because Burnham Park obviously wasn't the wasn't the biggest stadium of all. We really struggled to get much over the kind of 16,000, 17,000 mark for home yeah. games. We, we only hit it two or three times. I mean, the biggest away games of the season, uh, biggest gates of the season, I should say, were the away games, Manchester City and, and Wolves uh, bookend in the season at 26 and 28,000 respectively. Granted, we've hit over 20k for the final game at Burnden, which obviously you know, goes without saying, although we only ever got 19,000 on once or twice. What are your memories of the atmosphere at Burnden, especially in that last season with everything going our way? Like I said, I'd not been the first day I walked in, the first night I walked in was the, was the City game and I'm like a, I keep referring to that article if you wanted to, to read it, it's up on the line of inner site, but um, basically it was just it was just like an enchanting, well, it's like what everyone describes the first ever game of football that they go to live. This, this was my first ever really because when I went with my dad I was a lot younger, uh, let's say don't want to keep referring back to, to Manchester United. I, I moved away from the dark side eventually, but <laughs> you know it was that was in very much in the seats and very sort of uh, what's the word like a very stifled atmosphere. It wasn't particularly sort of loud, but not the same, up, was it? Walking up on the terraces, stood on the terraces, trying to sort of see over the blokes in front of me. And my mate, who was a few years, he's three years older than me, so he was sixteen. He was starting to get the get the pints in at half time and stuff, and. That kind of sort of, it was just like, it was not just a game of football, it was an experience really. It was just something which I'd never come across and it just gave me a buzz of excitement straight away really. It was something which I felt like I was with blokes and I was kind of still a boy really. But it was it was kind of that sort of hedonistic experience of kind of mm. in, sort of being involved in, in a, like a, well, like a gang and a group. like where you, yeah, 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 I get that. I completely yeah. get that. Whereabouts did you used to sit or stand when you were got when you went to Burnham? Uh, you know what? I couldn't. I couldn't even. Say, I think just uh, they call it like the they call it the embankment. It's just like the in the middle oh, of yeah. the, in the middle of the ground on the terraces, right? Sort of at the action. It's kind of where I still sit now at, at, at the Uniball. But yeah, let's call it the Reebok. So Uniball. Anyway, we're not going <laughs> to talk about the Reebok tonight. It's, it's all about Burnham. So yeah, just right in the centre of the pitch, basically, just right where the action was. Heat and the heat of the action, and it was uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, like I say, I think it's just you, you sort of remember sort of lots of like like you sense it, like your smells, and you and you. I keep referring back to smells, but you know you, you're looking at the pitch, and it's just all it's all a bit of a mm. wondrous. You don't, you're not sort of I don't remember it with any sort of uh, like analytical sort of uh, mindset. It's kind of just like a it's before you kind of become a bit world weary. It's kind of, it's all new and exciting. And yeah, and a bit in, innocent and different. I, I remember just just myself when I, that season. I remember we sat on the um, on the Manny Road stand, which was the first time I'd ever ever been on that side. We'd also spent a bit of time at Burnden Burnden stand and Burnden Terrace, and obviously as a kid on the lever end as well, where you, you kind of cut your teeth before you moved on to either side. And I just remember yeah. the sheer the sheer size of the place. I, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, I. Granted, I'd had the ex- exposure growing up where I grew up to to Bury once or twice, United once or twice, but it was always always Bolton and always Burned, and it was the most magical of those settings. So I completely see where you're coming from there. Um, I mean, it, it was what it was. I, I don't even think that at my ripe age of 14 at the time when this game came around that 
I, I was aware that the stadium was anything other than a 102-year-old rickety wooden enterprise that, that really didn't particularly smell nice, going back to what you were saying before about your, yeah. your, your tactile, uh, tactile images of the place. Yeah, I, I just I just think it was interesting because I, I had such a, a defined routine that season that me and my mother had gone with park up the other side of the railway and walk under the underpass, be there at about I mean, quarter past 12 for a three o'clock kickoff and just sit there for two and a half hours just waiting for it to start, waiting for the game to kick off. I wouldn't even think of doing that these days, literally arriving at the last possible second to minimise the torture of sitting yeah. watching, a, watching a Wanderers game in this day and age. Exactly, you know me, sort of like last minute Larry sort of turning up most day, most games. And, yeah, and I wonder yeah. whether that's something to do with, with us as, as we grow older, we, we maybe feel a little bit less connected to the club as things change so significantly compared to what they were like back in this day, you know, nearly well, well, 23 years ago now, which absolutely blows my mind to think of how yeah. far away things were. But going back to, the, to happier times, over the course of that season, you mentioned the cup games, um, the, the Chelsea and the Tottenham games being absolutely unparalleled highlights for me in my early years of supporting Wanderers. We beat Chelsea with uh, Viali and Hullet in the team 2-1. At home, we beat Spurs 7-1 at home. Mm. And then the, the most disappointing of all was the 2-0 the, the, the defeat at home to Wimbledon in the fifth round. I really thought that we were onto something special that year. Did, did, I know you mentioned the Spurs game already, but did, did the Tottenham game, the Bristol City one before that, or even perhaps the Wimbledon one hold any cherished memories? You know what? I can't remember that Wimbledon game, but I, I do. I, it's coming back to me now. I think Vinnie Jones was in the team, wasn't he? Still at that point, was he? Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Ivan Leonard Leonardson on got on the score sheet player. for them. He was a good player, but yeah, um, Bristol City was was that the the first round of the League Cup that, that we played in, and then second with the with the fourth round have been Chelsea fifth rounds, but. No. Almost second, it almost we got we got through to the uh, by to the second round, which was Bristol City home and away, followed by Chelsea and Spurs. Only six thousand on at Burnden that night. That was twenty fourth of September ninety six. That yeah, I won't pretend to remember the Bristol City ties. Actually, I don't I don't really recall them, but I certainly remember the Chelsea and Spurs games and the Wimbledon ones coming back to me. But obviously less so, seeing as it was a bit of a damp squib. Obviously, we if we went out the cup, a bit of a meek surrender, seeing as we'd knocked out bigger teams before them. But that's definitely. What to do, isn't it? But yeah, the, that Spurs game in particular was just, oh, it was just, it was just amazing, wasn't it? Like McGin, McGinley hat trick. If I'm not correct, I'm not that rightly, I think Blake got one. I've not, I've not researched it. So, so. it's all right. Yeah, it was McGinley a hat trick. Then Blake Taggart and Taylor Taggart, completed yeah. the scoring. So Taylor did get one, and then he he scored two. He scored two, but. The Bristol City game came in September '96, like I said. Then we only beat them after extra time. McGinley right. scored just after half time, and then Blake on Blake scored just after full after the, the the resumption of the game, and then Thompson in the second half of extra time. So yeah, we we only won after yeah. after extra time and aggregate that one. Uh, so what what might have been different? Only six thousand three hundred and something on that night, according to the uh, according to the good old people at Wikipedia. Yeah, right. Well, like I say, what might have uh, not led to such a, an excellent sort of couple of couple of games against yeah. Chelsea if we'd just been knocked out by Bristol City, but. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You've told me something I didn't know there, Chris. There you go. It's it's funny how conversely that worked in, in opposition to our FA Cup run that season where we, we were knocked out in the fourth round by Chesterfield. Granted, we, we battered Luton going through. It took a replay, but we, we won 6-2 in the second oh, yeah, leg, I seem, another heavy I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah, McGinley, a couple for Blake Thompson, Pollock and Green um, yeah. that season. 
we, we had such a good team top to bottom. I know we'll, we'll I'm gonna I'll go I'll pass over to you in a moment or two just to go through some notable names, but just looking at the the the, the France and the Johansson deal, for example, the signing of Jamie Pollock before Christmas, John Sheridan coming on loan as well for a couple of hundred grand. Um what absolute set of bargains they were. Absolutely, yeah. Like I say, I referred to it in the article, just went through every squad member and sort of wax lyrical about their qualities and certainly in certainly in the championship, there's there's a number of them who didn't quite maybe step up as we thought they might do to the Premier League. But in the, in that season in particular, I think every one of those players was, you could have a you could say that the team of the season would be just one to eleven Bolton. I mean the amount eighteen points clear of Barnsley in second. That one to eleven I can still name it to this day and the one to eleven I'm thinking of is actually the one to eleven that played in the final game at Burnham Park. Mm. Well go well. go for it then. Go for it. Let let's go through them and just have a bit of a bit of a recollection. I mean I, I don't expect you to tell me that Keith Brannigan was Scottish, for example, like a certain other podcast. No, no, he's he's Northern Irish, obviously, isn't he? Correct. <laughs> Irish. He's, uh, he's Republic. So, yeah, so uh, it was Keith in there, obviously, Keith Brannigan in there, who most Bolton fans who have any sort of worse would have obviously heard of. Uh, good near right back again, club legend, replaced on 84 minutes by Steve McInnesby, which uh, I don't recall that. <laughs> but I think we're all two. Another, cl- another club legend. Another one, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you cost. About ten times more than Goodney. He cost about eight hundred and fifty grand. Steve McInnes. I mean, Goodney cost about eighty grand. But anyway, that's another story. So that's uh, value yes. for money, that isn't it? Exactly. Centre half partners were Chris Fairclough and Jerry Taggart, who were just pretty. Fairclough actually played every single league game. I remember actually researching that before my article. Um, Taggart missed a few through injury, but not not so many. So Taggart partnered him at centre half, who is Northern Irish. Not Irish. Uh, Jimmy at left back, Jimmy Phillips, another club legend. Um, left back. Uh, right wing was Michael Johansson, replaced by John Sheridan on 79 minutes. Johansson did used to run himself into the ground and didn't often complete games. It would usually be David Lee who came on to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, or oh, Jamie Pollock maybe slotting in on the right. Uh, Pear and Allen in the middle, Thompson and Franson, just not Pear Thompson and Allen Franson, got that one mixed up. <laughs> uh, that, that's the uh, Peroni Grand, Grand Reserve of that kicking in, if you've heard me slurping him. Anyway, but the, uh, the left winger is uh, Scott Sellers, who was superb that season. Uh, I like to say every player was, I could just call every player superb, it'd get a bit boring, but he, he really was. And then up front, uh, the, the sort of perfect strike partnership of uh, McGinley and Nathan Blake, uh, who uh, was replaced by Mick Sue for a bit of a farewell. I don't think he came with us into the Premier League again. That he didn't. No, he, was, he, left, he left soon after. Either that or Tram. I think he scored against, did he score against Tram in the next game away in the two-all? No, I don't think he did, actually. But... My vague memories have been at the top of that stand. I remember Jamie Pollock scoring. I remember being in the Mersey oh, Tunnel afterwards yeah. in a traffic jam with everyone beeping and dancing in fancy dress. I couldn't tell you who scored the other goal. Completely lost that in my mind. I can't remember that one, but uh, yeah, it was definitely um, definitely uh, Pollock, as you say. He got that, he got the hundred goal Pollock, didn't he? He sort of like fired it home. That's but, right. So Mixer so got his little farewell cameo in front of the fans after a fairly distinguished career and big character again. As most of these players were big characters, really. They weren't. You don't have any shrinking violets in that team. They all they all could scrap and they all could play, which was which was the joy of watching them. Really, that they all had this sort of. Um, I don't know, indomitable spirit sort of thing. Yeah, they were. They weren't any. You know, they were tough, weren't they? Even the players that didn't quite make the team. I know Andy Todd was only really making his way in the game 
those days. Simon Coleman made the odd appearance. Wayne Burnett made the odd appearance. Scott Green was always in the background, here, there and everywhere. And then I suppose on the periphery was, was David Lee as well, who he only yeah. made 24 appearances in total, you know, in that season. He very much was the elder statesman of the team, pushed out a little bit by the arrival of Johansson and Pollock. Yeah. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, like I said, it was uh, obviously Scott Taylor who mentioned a number of times as well. And he went on to have a pretty decent spell at Blackpool late in his career. And he was mm. a young lad coming through with signed to Millwall. And he was very able, he was a very good substitute. You get these sort of players who can come on, stretch the game when we're sort of. He used to come on maybe when we were 2 1 up, and, and Todd would introduce him as a bit of a. Um, to stretch their defence when they were getting tired and sort of maybe pressing for an equaliser against them. He used to work a treat, whereas. Many managers would have just put a put on put on his son maybe to show the defence mm. up and see it. But I remember Todd was very very much an attacking manager in the sense that he he'd spot an opportunity a weakness in the opposition and he'd sort of punish that by throwing on a um, throwing on David Lee for, to replace Johansson's tiring legs and he would sort of you know whipping across for McGinley to head in or you know Taylor would, for sure Taylor would come on and stretch the defence so. Like I say, the, the whole squad, it wasn't just the starting eleven. even though I can name that off the top of my head, literally, you know, like I could have done so without researching or writing the article recently, I could have done that anyway. But this was a, a team, a squad that, you know, even the players who came in were of good quality. They weren't sort of... They were. Yeah, they, they weren't, you know, your, your squad fillers who you think, oh dear, we've got him playing today. Are we going to, you know... Are we well, that's to... it. That's it. All solid professionals, weren't they? I mean, I was surprised to, to, to look myself in the course of looking through things that Johansson only played 24 league games and he only started 50% of the season, pretty much. It was quite surprising, but what an impact those two made. I know we've been discussing privately the, uh, the merits of, of the, the transfer deal that brought them to the club, but can you think of very many other bargains for two, two and a half million quid for the pair of them? Yeah, superb. So let's say it's quite a lot of money at the time, I suppose, but for two players, it's... Uh... It's well, we just a... sold Kerchich and Stubbs, don't forget, as well. So we weren't, yeah. uh, we were rolling in it. We'd sold them for seven and a half million between the pair. Yeah, true, true. That was, uh, you know... We've, well invested, we've I think. Fairly flush, weren't we, for uh, comparatively at the time, that time. So uh, we certainly invested invested well and the scouts did the job. And although Blake sort of, some would say, failed in the Premier League the season before, uh, not that I was, you know, the memories aren't as clear that I had of that season. He certainly came good that, you know, in 96-97. Blake was unplayable most games from memory. He definitely was. Now, on, on to the game itself. I mean, my, my recollections of arriving even earlier than planned because I, I do recall yeah. them, them intending on getting people in there as soon as possible because they were having a lap of honour with some very, very famous names. I mean, just to, just to go through a few, Nat Lofthouse was there, Eddie Hopkinson, Tommy Banks... Uh, also, Frank Worthington, yeah, we've got Harry McShane, Freddie Hill, Warwick Rimmer, Gordon Taylor, Roger Runt, Peter Thompson, Roy Greaves, Peter Nick, Gary Jones, William Morgan, Felgate, the Caldwells, John yeah, Thomas, man. Julian Darby, yeah, Owen Coyle, Andy Walker, Alan Stubbs, Frank Worthington, Big Sam, Jimmy Armfield, John McGovern and Bruce Riach, who were all on TV duty that night as well. Real, real sort of who's who. Um, and I, on TV duty that night, that's a big studio. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not suggesting they were necessarily on the same one, but I believe they're all on, <laughs> on media duties that night. I 100% recommend that people search out the Burnden Park End of an Era documentary on YouTube. I watched it a couple of nights it. ago. It's, it's yeah. about an hour and a half long. It's presented by Kenneth Wollstone, 
Very, very right. interesting. Behind the scenes look at Burnden Park and talking to John Byram and, and Nat Lofthouse and John McGinley and people like that and Dave Higson. Very, very interesting. So yeah. that was setting the scene. The, the title had already been won, um, mathematically speaking. So there was absolutely no drama that night in terms of Wanderers picking the pot up at the end of the game. The away Just, fans had very kindly agreed to, to be sat in the little tiny little church stand underneath the Normid, underneath the Normid's shadow. And Wanderers fans filled the embankment as well to make a, a season-high crowd of over 21,000 on at Burnden. I, I do recall my mum, who I would go to the games with, was particularly um, pensive about the, what the future might bring. She'd been going to Burnden, obviously, for donkey's years, comparative to what I've been going. And even myself, as someone who's only been going for sort of four or five years on and off, and then most regularly that season, the definite sense of occasion was uh, was palpable as we as we arrived that night. But... From your point of view, with the people that you would you would go with, was anything different about that night? Do you, do you think that the, the the sense of atmosphere uh, was pervasive amongst the crowd? It's certainly my recollection, but I'm interested to know what you thought. Yeah, I think there was a sense of uh, you know a little bit of uh, regret that we were we were leaving you know the grand old well I say grand old place. It was not, wasn't obviously that grand by that point. It it probably was a move that we needed to make, but mm. um, yeah, I mean obviously we didn't with it being my only my first season there. I didn't have that connection, I suppose, with the place of, of being like somewhere I've been I've been for the past 10, 20, 30 years, like I would do, you know, if we were to leave the Reebok. You know, it's obviously it's not quite the same because the Burnham Bern was in the town centre. It's very much a heart of the community, as everyone knows. And, you know, the old cliches that, you know, it's part of the community and we shouldn't take out a Bolton. And, you know, there was a lot of people against moving to Horwich, which, you know, mm. was, it's understandable in, in a big sense. But um, I think, I think the overwhelming sense was it was a party atmosphere, but there was a, a tinge of regret that that we decided to take the club out. I think if we'd been moving to somewhere else in Bolton Town Centre, or say there was somehow bulldozing the stadium and building another one right yeah. there, it was, there might have been. I think I think there was just the, the sense that we won't have this. This will never happen again. Where everyone walks to the ground through the Bolton Town Centre. I mean, a lot of people parked up nearer, but a lot of people would go to the pub before the game, and there's not quite that atmosphere well it's not, not it's not there's not quite an atmosphere it's a completely different atmosphere going to the Reebok definitely way so yeah I can I understand what you what you say in the word foreboding before um but I just remember going with I say my friend and his daddy my friend had been going for for a while I think a good while probably maybe seven or eight years since he's maybe five six years old I think. right and obviously his dad uh had been going for for god knows how long um He's in. He's in probably his late sixties now, so he'd been going at that point for for a good, you know, thirty years. Yeah, yeah, probably. for his childhood and what have you. Yeah, it sounds very similar to my mother's, yeah. and he's exactly the same boat. Yeah. So, so he was. Yeah, I think. Like I say, I think everyone was in a pretty much a pretty jovial mood, obviously, until Charlton. You know, if we move on to the game, obviously Charlton's got the first goal, but we we just Indeed, wanted to, they did. We wanted to give it a send off, and we wanted to. We wanted to make sure we won the final game, and and as it yeah. turned out, it, the script was written. You know, we couldn't have written a better script in the end, really, with who scored the final goal and how it all. No, for that. sure. And, and and just to sort of talk about the match in, in in a bit more detail. I mean, it's it's probably obvious, I, should, I suppose, looking at how the season went, because although we were champions, we were champions by a long way. We conceded over a goal a game in terms of our average. There were there were only you know maybe about seven or eight clean sheets over the course of that season. It really wasn't a kind of defensive masterclass. I think we we blew a lot of teams away with the, the potency of our attack. 
And yeah. so, as you say, Morrow, we used to play for Arsenal. He, he scored a, a tremendous long range. Uh, sorry, not Morrow, I beg your pardon. It's Kinsella, wasn't it? It's was Kinsella, yeah. yeah. He scored a tremendous long range goal in the in the early minutes. That I, still looking back at the highlights today makes me laugh to listen to Alan, Alan Brazil on commentary that mm-hmm. night on Sky Sports uh, describing it. it's an absolute cracker, and it re- it really really was definitely hushed the celebratory mode uh, mood that was going around the ground at times. I mean. Going back to that, those days, it, we've been so in, so absolutely dominant, I suppose, at least in the last third of the season where we, we, we lost against Reading in February, but then that was our first defeat since early December and then we didn't lose again for the rest of the season. We, all, we won sort of six or seven on the bounce from March mm-hmm. onwards through to April, including that fantastic 7 0 at home to Swindon Town, which I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah, at any point, do you think that uh, Charlton were coming to spoil the party or were you looking back, were you pretty confident? I think they were. I think they were sort of mid-table, weren't they? So they weren't particularly playing for anything. So it was just a yeah. case of two teams looking to play quite, you know, ex- expansive end of season, sort of in in a on the beach, as people, as the term goes, sort of holiday holiday football sort of thing, sort of thing. But uh, Charlton was certainly uh, better than we gave them credit for. The four-one probably didn't probably didn't do them justice. They were they were they were very good for the first half an hour from memory. Like I say, I'm trying to go back. 25 years to remember the flow and ebb and flow of the games. Not probably that easy without. I haven't had the chance to check the highlights actually, but I remember Kinsella's goal and uh, yeah, they they were certainly there there in the uh, the guys of party peepers and they, they did the job in the first half. But I'll just quickly run through the chart and eleven if anyone's interested. Mm. Very. Uh, I think I don't know the first name, so I'm going to guess it. I think it's Andy Pettersson in goal. There's Robinson at right back. Ro- Robinson at right back. I'm not quite sure which one that is, but I know. There's, I think that's there's... is it. Carl, Carl Robinson. I seem to recall who was the right back for Charlton. At there one was, there was a John Robinson. who was a winger. He might have been switched to fullback. But I'm not no, sure. On Robinson. Richard Rufus and Stuart Barmer. I remember them too. There's, there's Rufus is definitely Richard Rufus at centre half. He was a very good player. Actually. Uh, our mm. own, own to be uh, later to be own Anthony Barnes at left back. Um, obviously, aforementioned Kinsella. On the right wing, but I thought he played more central, but maybe not. Um, Mortimer in the middle. I'm thinking Paul Mortimer, a sort of a quite old man, and I think he's called Paul. Uh, I think it's Brendan O'Connell, knocking midfield three. And then they had a quite a sprightly front three of uh, Bradley Allen, Mark Bright, and Kevin Lisby, with Carl Lieburn coming on for him. So they, they, they had a quite a decent sort of strike force there. I think Mark Bright coming towards the end of his career, and Kevin Lisby just starting it. I think it's I think it's Bradley. Is it Bradley Allen? Definitely not Clive. I think it's Bradley Allen of QPR saying. I think you're right because they had them both at one point, didn't they? Yeah, so they had, they had quite a decent side out. It certainly weren't rollovers, but especially with nothing to, from memory, nothing to play. So I'm pretty sure Charlton were, I think, mid table around that time. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what position exactly, but they were certainly there to sort of uh, enjoy the occasion and you know try and try and spoil it. And I remember the first yeah. half being very sort of cagey and quite. Um, quite sort of nervous just because we wanted so much to, to finish with a win and a resounding victory, which, like I say, eventually came good. But, yeah, what do you think uh, What do you, What do you think was in sort of players' minds going into half-time? Because I think we emerged we emerged out the uh, after half-time break 1-0 down, didn't we? We did. And, and, again, going back all those years, I, I do recall almost a feeling of, of trepidation. But at the same time, I had a, you know, a great confidence in the team at the time that, yeah, fine. You know, we might might go a goal down as we'd have done once or twice in the, in the weeks prior, but that we'd have more than enough firepower to blow Charlton away. I mean, just having a quick look then while you were while you were talking, Charlton finished fifteenth that season, just a 
a couple of points below Manchester City and Norwich. But then they would they would obviously go on the following season to earn promotion back to the Premier League through the playoffs when they beat Sunderland. So they were they were a, a team in transition, perhaps is the yeah. polite way to describe it. But then they, they did they did come good the following year. Um, it, it, no, I, I never never really had any particular um, lack of faith in this in this team. It was maybe going back to a more innocent era when footballers were invincible, especially Wanderers at home in that era. And no matter what was thrown at us, we seemed to be able to overcome. So granted, even a world-class goal that like they scored was, was, you know, it was great, fair, fair play to them. But at no point did I think we would lose that game, both with the sense of occasion and with the the sort of faith that the guys had earned from the supporters over the course of that season because they'd been so so good. You're right in saying you know we we came out in the second half absolutely flying with Alan Thompson scoring. He got 11 that season from midfield. I bet we've not had a midfielder score 11 since then. I bet maybe yeah, Nolan, maybe Nolan once or twice. I'll you tell you, tell me, because you, the absolute oracle of statistics, you tell me how exactly I'm wrong. You know how, why I remember that? Because on the article I wrote, I researched it, and Thompson scored 11 Premier League goals the season after in the Premier League. Ah, so he okay. equaled it the following season. So, including, he took more penalties in that season, though, because McGinley obviously wasn't part of the first team, sadly, uh, really, in the, in the Premier League the following season. He was, uh, let's see, usurped by uh, Peter Baisley and Dean Ellsworth. But, um, Thompson scored a few penalties the following season, so Fair uh, enough. his tally from what it maybe would have been in the Premier League. So, yeah, like I say, but, sorry, uh, carry on again, Chris. Sorry to no, no, you. no, that's why you're here, mate. You're the you're the absolute boffin of the pair. So I'm very happy you, you interjected there. Taggart would score 15 minutes or so later on. Um, Remember that beautiful, uh, beautiful left foot inside. It inside. was. It was a cracker. Yeah, fantastic. an absolute an absolute cracker of a finish, and that I think at least my recollection is. And the party atmosphere definitely kicked off as soon as that second goal went in from Taggart on 60-odd minutes, um, to the point where I don't really remember the final 20 minutes up until the last couple of goals uh, in, the, in the closing stages, such was the, the atmosphere, being up on your seat, singing, chanting, just having a good time, just taking it all in for that for that very last time. McGinley would score an 89 and would score again in the, in the closing seconds to make it 4-1. Do you think of anyone more appropriate to get that last goal at the stadium, Lee? I certainly yeah. don't. No, absolutely not. I think it was uh, he, he. He refers back to McGinley in various interviews he's done over the over the last sort of few years, really, with uh, in relation to how Nat Lofthouse told him he wanted him to be the final goal scorer because it would have been very fitting with the way he played with his in his Bolton career and perhaps reminding Nat himself of him and and the affection and affinity he had with the club. So I think if I think if you asked every Every person in that ground that night who they wanted to score the final goal, I think you'd be hard pressed to find really anyone who would have said anyone other than McGinley. So that that final final goal, uh, final two goals, he scored. You know, he didn't wasn't just happy with one. He got got That's another right. one. A, I think a parry from the keeper and he tapped in. I, I can't really recall. I can recall the Thompson goal quite well, uh, like a swivel left foot shot that sort of uh, went into the corner. I can't. Re- I can recall Taggart's clear as day, but I can't like like you said. I can't really recall McGinley's. Can't really recall I'm, last twenty minutes. I can't recall the, McGinley's goal was particularly. Clear. Yeah, his 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 first goal was a tapping at the back post after the ball sort of run along the goal the goal line. That's I think it, it was Alan Thompson. Yeah. Alan Thompson had a left foot volley from the final the, the far edge of the box, and then the second That's one, it. Scott Sellers was was crudely chopped down in the penalty area with. Uh, by one of the Watford lads who probably had a few quid on McGinley being final goal scorer. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I'll say. Um, I think it's just uh, some, just so fitting that he, he think he scored those final final two goals uh, at, the, at the stadium, and everyone was just 
just so delighted for him and, and, and for us as a club and starting a new era. And I think any maybe the trepidation that people had felt about leaving Burnham probably looked, turned into anticipation and excitement of, of you know, the following mm. season, just kind of maybe realising we've got a hell of a team here and we, we've got a hell of a chance of staying up, which unfortunately didn't transpire. But it was uh, certainly, um, certainly a, an era that, obviously, you're always going to remember fondly the first season you ever watch the club you know consistently in the season mm, definitely it's maybe you know you might have sort of uh rose tinted spectacles but it's quite difficult to have rose tinted spectacles when you get 100 point uh well it should have been 100 points 100 goals shouldn't it but you know when you, when your team is that good you know one of one of the great seasons for many club in in the football league maybe in its history so you know to start that way it, it's some pretty big expectations to live up to which you know definitely the big sam but yeah it was just certainly an amazing season and and i don't think that even the, looking back at the uh, the burning years as fondly as, as i like to do would we have had anything like the success we felt that the, we experienced at the Reebok in the Premier League without that? It's, it's very doubtful that, you know, yeah, granted, Yorwood RKF was persuaded to come to Bolton by a very charismatic bloke in Sam Allardyce, but would he have been persuaded by walking around a stadium that, that stank a piss and was made of cardboard? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not quite as guaranteed, is it? So I guess it's one of those things where those of us that, you know, the Reebok is, where we, is our home, it's where we play, it'll never be the true home as, as far as fans maybe of our age would consider it. But for those of a younger vintage, then I can fully understand why they don't know any different, same as we didn't at the time. Uh, but That's would true. those days have happened with, with Burnham still being there? I don't really think that was ever really likely, was it, given the cost involved of, yeah. of revamping the stadium to a, to a particularly decent modern standard, given the challenges it faced with its location. But I'll certainly look back on that, and, and I still do from time to time when we... My videos, my DVDs, that the program I've got under my bed that I whip out every now and then to have a little look. Um, absolutely unbelievable memories and, and ones that I absolutely cherish for, 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 will cherish for as long as possible. When the kids are bugging me when I'm sticking the DVD on again in the final game or the other night I was watching with a bit of dust in my eye, the documentary, kind of full snow walking around Burnham Park and, and, and talking to all the stalwarts behind the scenes. It's just unbelievable memories for me. And, uh, and, and Lee, to finish off... Uh, I'll just pass the same thing back over to you. I mean, your, your abiding memories of the ground, please, mate. Yeah, I think I think just that first um, that first sort of uh, walk up up the up the terraces to to see the pit sort of glistening glistening the sort of floodlights and on on that game against City and just the the sound of the crowd and sort of the the, the songs that would pipe up and you know, all the sort of I don't like the word banter but I can't think of a better word right now I'm sure there was a word before banter for, for joking <laughs> around but um, you know all the sort of camaraderie I'd probably say that's probably a bit of an older style word isn't it um, between all the all the supporters everyone sort of knew each other and it just it was just kind of like a it was like a, a cult wasn't it you know, a bit like a, a really sort of wondrous place to go and watch your football despite it, its foibles and its faults and its rickety old nature it, you know for that one season i'm just i'm annoyed that you know perhaps i wasn't i didn't get more friendly with sam earlier that i could have i've been going for you know since i was seven or eight years old but maybe that was the right time for me to start watching football and you know at least i got that one full season of watching us there and like i say most of my football supporting time has been it has been at the reebok but i certainly look back more fondly at burnham park despite only spending one year there i, I know we've had all the success under big sam in, at the reebok and you know the Reebok was bouncing under Big Sam, and it was a good experience, but it didn't quite have that sort of uh, 
Um, I was going to say quite, I suppose, as, as Burnham Park, which is a proper football stadium, proper old school. And, you know, like I say, it was, I was just sad that I wasn't able to go there and, and experience the, the day out that it was really, um, you know, more more than that one one season. But like I like yeah. said, cherish the memories. 100% mate and that's all we've got at our eye page I mean and uh, look there's plenty of footage on YouTube there's plenty of footage out there for those who didn't get who weren't for, who were unfortunate in their uh, not being born in time to come and see us play at Burnley but it really was an experience even some of the lesser games I, th- I still look back on fondly whether that's just because the present isn't quite as entertaining as the past but uh, maybe that's just me and my old sad bitterness but Lee, I appreciate your time tonight. I know with your, uh, your newborn on the scene, you're, you're a busy man. So I certainly do appreciate that. And thank you to everyone for listening to this pilot episode. If you do like what we've done, looking back at times 1990s onwards through to sort of the, the early, mid to late 2000s, we might even do a couple more of these. So do offer your feedback where relevant. Lee, anything you want to say before we crack on? Feel free to plug your social media, etc. In, uh, in Tom Jenkins' inimitable style. Um, no, not really. Just uh, yeah, cheers for uh, cheers for finally encouraging us to get this sort of idea on the road, and hopefully a few people will uh, enjoy our ramblings. Uh, apologies if you can hear me slurping macaroni. Uh, I'm not usually <laughs> pro man, but this Grand Reserva Doppo Doppo meal, what is it? Doppio Malto. That's quite a good drop. That so uh, I recommend. Very nice. It's been uh, it's been fun, and uh, I'm sure my missus will have a go. This we're running over by 20 minutes, but there we go. Um, well, just so, yeah. just tell her that just tell her it was That's my right. fault, mate. Absolutely no problem whatsoever. It's absolutely my fault through all the waffling and <laughs> giving giving your Charlton's team when you didn't ask for it. But there we go. That's that's the type of guy I am. Very giving, very very giving. <laughs> so follow the website Line of Vienna STE on Twitter. Give the usual five star review on iTunes. Otherwise, don't bother. And we may see you again for another episode very soon. Enjoy your lockdown. Cheers. Bye. Bye.